Craig, are you ready? Hold on. I started a trend. I started a, 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 I started a trend on <laughs> Thursday. So here we go. The podcast is tipped, and there we are, totally unprepared for the next <laughs> nine minutes. You're listening to this, and no one knows why the hell you chose that, but here it goes. And welcome to episode 10, <laughs> minus, the, minus the extra episode that we did, the emergency one, episode 10 of podcast. Uh, that was everyone. fantastic. I am world-renowned singer Craig Powers, uh, and with me as always is probably also an amazing singer, Jeff Neusser. I am not an amazing singer, but I am an amazing One Shining Moment fan. So you, you really just made my night, because... Uh, I love that song. I, I learned like last, maybe it was last year, or the year before, but I learned that there are actually people who don't like that. And I thought like, like, like what must be wrong with a person if they don't like one shining moment? Dude, every year after the championship game, you sit there and you wait. It's like the while best they, part. And you wait and you wait and then you, and, you and then you, and then you, then you get all, um, your throat gets all back. You get a frog in your throat while you're watching it. And it gets and dusty. Just, and, and remember the year that they had uh, someone else, was it, I don't know, Jennifer something, sing it? And yeah, got that was so, so mad that they had to go back to the Luther Vandross 100% original Travis. because it's better. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be cheesy. Like, it's supposed to be cheesy. It's not. Of course it is. Who cares that, like, why do we gotta be try to be cool with everything? Yeah, no, like the like what makes it awesome is how cheesy it is. Like that's what makes it great. I don't know. Like you, yeah. I feel like the uh, I actually hate one shining moment is like the epitome of like like internet counter intellectualism whatever like it's just like I'm, I'm gonna say it sucks because everybody else loves it and right. it actually sucks it's like no it doesn't suck you suck you're a moron well as you guys can tell uh based on jeff's strong strong opinions um <laughs> jeff's had some jeff's been drinking um, one pint deep on this sucker too. already so uh jeff uh, what have you been drinking while you've been waiting me to get ready for this yeah, so I'm one pint deep on my uh, Skookum Crowler of Pile Up, which uh, which is an IPA, and uh, it's it's a little hazy, not it's but it's kind of a of a darker hazy, um, so it's got kind of um, some of those like kind of piney regular West Coast IPA notes, but it's also very very fruity, almost like a like a like a pineapple mango almost kind of kind of flavor so um untapped tells me it is made with mosaic amarillo nelson chinooks and s passion or south passion uh southern hops. passion so there so southern passion so there you go hops um and now i'm also looking at untapped and it's telling me that uh, there are hints of tangerine and stone fruit, which actually is what I'm tasting. So, yeah, do we do we decide on a new uh, on a new rating scale? Man, uh, we haven't. So, we did get a suggestion from uh, Brian Anderson, our colleague. Yeah. To do 99 beers and rate them, but I'm <laughs> sure as hell I'm not putting that much effort into that. <laughs> I'm definitely not doing that. Yeah. I, I, that would require note taking, a spreadsheet. Okay. 
All right. Well, how about this? Um, I will rate it um, four out of five one shining moments. How about that? Oh, okay. Yes. We'll just, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll make up one on the fly each time. Jeff, I'm very proud of you. I have to say uh, those tasting notes were just, they were, they were deep. They were t- talking about intellectualism right there. That's I'm learning. Your, your palate is so refined. It's not like, I don't know, it's an IPA, whatever. But man, <laughs> so proud of you. Tears, tears happening over here. I, I like also, I, I think I also taste things better now because I'm not having a beer like every night. Oh, yeah. So I think that also helps. But anyway, continue. What are you drinking? I am having, so uh, this weekend we went down to Portland uh, to visit some a friend. Um and I did some my lovely baby mama and daughter uh, went on on Sunday and bounced around to multiple and then I also had Monday because um, the nice part about working from home is that you can work from wherever the hell you want and uh, so I bounced around on Sunday took the kiddo with me so I made a nice list of breweries to go to we did a nice brewery tour. Um, and, and taproom tour. And then on Monday, while I was working, I stopped by the um, new Modern Times location in uh, Portland. It's on oh. it's on Belmont. There's a lot of breweries around there. The, uh, it's actually in the location where Commons Brewery used to exist, if any of our readers are familiar with that. It's a great spot. It was a beautiful space when Commons was there, and Modern Times took their kind of funkiness to it. Um, uh, so... If, if you've ever been to their um, satellite location in San Diego, they have a, a brewery location and a kind of satellite, just which is not a brewery, it's just a bar. Um, that At that one, the bar is made up entirely of uh, old VHS tapes with the covers on them. So um, at this one, the bar was made up entirely of floppy disks um, of various colors. And there was just also just a very kind of like 80s grandparents house uh mystique to it um but uh i want to get something to bring back just to talk about my portland i got two portland beers actually i'll probably talk about the other one uh midway through the podcast so stick around for that um but this particular one is by modern times of course in a collaboration with a brewery called jay wakefield which i've mentioned briefly before on the podcast if you've listened to every episode um modern times is interesting, very interesting brewery. Uh, they are entirely employee-owned. They converted to that about three years ago. Um, so while you see a lot of breweries of their size and growth would sell out to a larger, because they started building secondary locations. They've built one in LA and one in Portland now. Um, and I think they have you know, eyes on more and they have two in San Diego. Um, so when you see breweries do that, typically they're like, okay, they're they're getting prepared to sell because um, you saw that with Elysian. You saw that with Wicked Weed uh, they're just, uh, and Ten Barrel. Um, they were just building up assets um, to be a, you know, more um, a place to, that can be more attractive to a buyer because um, they really like, especially in Heather Bush, they really like buying breweries uh, that have those uh, satellite restaurants and things like that. Uh, but modern times, uh, they instead of doing that, which I think I anticipated them selling out, but they instead converted to employee-owned. And for many years, their two locations in San Diego don't serve food. 
Um, but for many years, it said on their cans and their bottles, it would always say, this beer is vegan. And I always thought it was a kind of a joke. Uh, there's a, there are non-vegan beers. Uh, it's obviously if you use lactose um, in your beer or you know any other animal product, but it's typically the milk stouts and stuff or the cream ales um, that that aren't uh, vegan. Vegan, but most most beer is vegan because um, it's usually just you know plants and yeast and water and and uh, so it, so uh, but so I just thought it was a joke. But it turns out when they open their uh, places in Los Angeles and Portland, they're, they both have restaurants. They're restaurants, and they're sure enough, they're vegan restaurants. So, so they're not. They they very much are actually a vegan brewery. They're actually, committed you know, to that. They are very committed. So you know, like the burgers there, the Beyond Burger. I had every intention of going there. I've never tried a Beyond Burger, Impossible Burger, anything like that. Because when it's next to a real burger on the menu, I'm like, no thanks. Um, but uh, so but. We were at another brewery, which I'll mention later because I have another beer from them, called Wayfinder on Sunday night. We were going to meet our friend at Modern Times for dinner. She's a vegetarian, so she was down. And But we were at Wayfinder, and we got a table. Um, interesting story about that. Um, we walked in. There was a lot of people. It was you know beautiful day on Sunday in Portland, 75 degrees, whatever. And we uh, they, they had the deck was full, and, and there was a sign that said, the deck, you know, this, uh, if, to see a host for deck seating. Okay. So we're like, okay, so if we go inside, uh, we don't have to see a host. So we go inside, we spot a, a booth and we're like, okay, with a kid, the booth's always nice. You know, you got a lot of space and, um, they're confined and everything. Uh, but the host comes over and he's like, oh, sorry, I was saving this table for someone. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll go see what I can do. And so we walk over to the back of the host table and he just goes, you know what? I'll just make them wait. You have the kid with you. You can have the booth. This is like a booth that could probably sit at six people. And it's just like <laughs> we have one person coming. So it's like three adults and a kid. And so we kind of felt bad. But I was like, hey, that worked out, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we didn't end up going to Modern Times for dinner. But I did go there the next day for lunch. And I did grab this beer. It is, um, it's called Suggestion of Mass. Um, so Jay, it's a collaboration with Jay Wakefield. Having this, it's a big imperial stout um 11 percent with and not barreled it's just a, a um, regular imperial stout um with uh a lot of coffee and coconut and a little bit of vanilla um so it kind of ventures into that pastry stout round but it's not super sweet it's pretty sweet but not super sweet uh jay wakefield on the jay wakefield is pretty famous for um making these uh big adjunct laden stouts um, they're out of Florida. Uh, they're, Jay Wakefield um, is the name of the brewer. It, he got famous uh, for as a home brewer um, and to the point where people were like trading for his homebrew beer. And then he started his brewery. And he, now you'll see his his more um, his more sought after barrel aged stuff goes, you know, five hundred, six hundred dollars secondary on the market. Sometimes even more depending on how rare. Um, pushing up to a thousand. Um, but, uh, um, he, he's, he does a lot of collabs. Obviously this is one, I wouldn't be surprised if this end, some of this ended up in barrels too. Um, but so it's a big unbarreled stout. Now this is the second time within, I don't know, three weeks that I've had a big ass pastry stout, uh, type stout. Um, and to be honest, that's not my favorite style. I, I, there's this kind of, and this beer has it too, with a lot of unbarreled stouts, there's this kind of 
aftertaste to it and a little harshness to it when they get this big, this 11, 12%, that the barrel tends to temper and kind of even off. The barrel just kind of finishes edges off. Um, but and this one is is great nose. The coffee certainly dominates. Um, I looked at the date on this can. It's about, uh, it's from September, so I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the coconut has faded at this point, faded away into the background. But it's got a great coffee nose, and definitely a sweet nose. Um, it's very thick. It's got a lot of chocolate, a lot of coffee, little hints of coconut and vanilla. You especially get the kind of roastiness from the coconut. And that's kind of what I really like. It's good when you can taste the coconut, but I really like kind of um, when you use toasted coconut, it, um, it kind of adds to the toastedness of the malts you're using, and it, and it kind of gives us deeper depth of that roastiness. Um, and this definitely has that. It definitely has that kind of almost soy saucy finish to it, where it's like, where it's like, man, if this was in a barrel, that would be shaved off, and this this beer would be, you know, probably pretty damn tasty, aged in a bourbon barrel for 12 months or so. But yeah, overall, it's like if if you're just thinking purely on an imperial stout style, I think um, this is very good. Uh, I probably, if we're just gonna go integer, integers again, probably also go with uh, four shining moments out of five. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm definitely enjoying this. As it says, 11%. Um, still on that diet. Still gonna. This will hit me, but I got my sidecar beer again, so which I'll be happy to talk about uh, later. <laughs> but, um, so we'll take a break and revisit later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, modern times. If you ever down there in Portland, it's a cool place, um, or in San Diego, or in Los Angeles. Uh, this particular one was brewed at their Los Angeles um, facility. They actually brew at all three facilities. So, um, and they talk about how the uh, like they said, they'll brew the same batches in Portland and they'll taste a little different because of the water profile. Um, some of them they like better. Uh, that some of their old, old recipes uh, they like better brewed in Portland. So maybe part of the reason Portland's such a popular beer town is because of the water. Who knows? Uh, we know that's why Olympia was so good, but um, that's an old reference. Yeah. Um, but, if, but now it's like hipster cans, it, uh, mostly just in Olympia, though. Like, you don't really see the Olympia cans in many, many other places. No, no, you don't. I wondered if you if you had gone down to Portland, because I saw you check into a Great Notion beer. and uh, I did go to Great Notion. Yeah, you know, I love but, Great Notion. Yeah, I didn't bring any of those back. Did you, did you have a, uh, a pancake, a, a maple syrup pancake? No, oh. no I, I, I tried a few others. I've had that one plenty of times. Yeah, they have a beer called Double Stack, which is – the most maple syrup intense beer I've ever tasted and, and smelled in my entire life. It just fills. I know you've had it too, Jeff. It just yeah. fills the house with. It's as good things. as you imagine. Yeah, yeah. But I, like I said, you know, those big barrel unbarreled stouts are not my thing as much anymore. Yeah. But, but actually, they had um, I tried one of the one the thing that I think, uh, some Great Notion does a lot of ridiculous stuff. Yeah. Um, they uh. They they've gotten really famous for that, but I think they do execute the New England style hazy IPA really well as well as anyone in the Northwest. So I had some a really nice. So they make a beer called Ripe, which is made with uh, the same yeast strain that Heady Topper is made with, and then but they this was a double dry hop version, so um, that usually just gives it a different body and a lot more aroma, and it was very tasty. 
Um, and then I also had a one that they collaborated with a, a brewery. Um, I can't remember which one in California. It might have been Moxa, um, or not Moxa Coffee. So uh, I can't remember what the brewery. It sounds like that. It's all Sacramento, but whatever. So it was called um, Barrel Age Vanilla Limousine. And if you know anything about how great Notion now drinks their beers, man, that thing was vanillaed up. And I imagine that the unbarreled one was even more, but the barrel aged one, it kind of tempered it and it tasted just like freaking chocolate milk, man. And we even, uh, we got some ice cream for B and we dumped, uh, we dumped some of the ice cream in the, in the last few ounces and made a little float and it was super tasty. Yeah. Uh, There was so much vanilla in that beer. Um, yeah, it just, it worked really well. Like I, I really enjoyed that one, you know, got a small pour. But uh, but that's all yeah. you need. It was a five ounce pour. That's yeah. all you need, something like that. But yeah, I really, yeah. When we got a, we got some cans of a of a dub, another double dry hopped IPA that they had available. They had the blueberry muffin cans available, but yes, that's um, good. But I just didn't feel like buying it. You know, yeah, I got some camp here. That's um, the one yeah. I was actually just gonna throw in on because I was like, I haven't been down there in a couple of years. To Great Notion, so I was oh, like, yeah, I they actually have a second location now. That's where we went. Oh, and nice. and that so their original system is only seven barrels. Yeah, um, I guess I should have. Yeah, it wasn't it a very big place because we get talked about that. But this new one is thirty barrels, and so now it's pretty. You know, before it was like really hard to get their beer. Like, like they'd have a really super strict limit on you know like one or two crawlers you could get. But now they have like tons of they can and they have you know cans and you. They usually have a few different beers and cans that you can buy as much as you want of, and yeah. so so it's tough. But you know, it's like twenty dollar four pack. So how much? Yeah, you yeah. Buy? Um, but that's yeah, cool so. though because because I remember when I was down there, I muled back some stuff for you, and they were like, yeah, you can only get two of. I don't even remember what it was, but it was like you know, they would only let me get two of whatever it was, and. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so I brought back brought back some crawlers. But I do remember that the the blueberry muffin was was sort of my favorite. That was that was so good. It tasted oddly enough, just like a blueberry muffin. Yeah, that's when 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 Great Notion ta- like wants to make a beer, they call and call it something like it tastes like that. They, it tastes just like it. Amanda had an orange creamsicle. Amanda had an orange creamsicle IPA. Oh. And she had another sour that was I can't remember. It was. It was a bunch of fruit and like vanilla, yeah. and like crazy. I want that IPA. Yeah, I gotta get yeah, it. Yeah, so um, Great Notion. Uh, I went to Great Notion. I went to Wayfinder. I went to yeah. Upright right before Great Notion. Upright and Great Notion cannot be more different in their execution. Upright makes a lot of really uh, clean pilsners and really subtle, uh, well balanced sours. <laughs> um, with like really subtle hints, and so it was kind of a funny contrast to go from one to the other. Which great notion there is nothing subtle about anything they do. No. Um. Uh. So that's why they're they're a bit you know they can be a bit um polarizing, um among beer nerds because of that. I'm I'm kind of like I like some of what they do. Some of it is just not for me. Well, um, like there's a there's a time and a place for everything. Yeah. Right. Like that's what's awesome about you know, the beer scene is that it's yeah. like, you know, if you like a certain thing, you can have some of that thing. If you like variety, you like to try different things, you can try different things. And I love like experimental places that will just, you know, try something different. Right. And, but there's also a place for places that don't experiment and just, you know, do what they do really well. And, you know, that's definitely cool too. It's, you know, there's, there's really no limit to what, what you can enjoy, which I think is, 
what's sort of super fun about beer as opposed to like, and this is not to like knock people who really like wine, but it's like, you know, the, I mean, wines are pretty standard, you know, I mean, you're, you're in a certain style, you might get, you know, slightly different notes, but for the most part, you know, you kind of know what you're getting and it's just sort of a, of a quality thing, you know, with beer, it's like, I mean, there really is kind of no limit to the, to the kinds of things you can do. And, and, uh, you know, you can really try a whole lot of different things and appreciate each of them for what they are. Right, exactly. Um, but I think uh, your order of operations there and which brewery you're going to and trying is, is definitely going to help you enjoy those beers better. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, great true. Notion. You've got to make sure if you're going to Great Notion, you're either going to go get a Pilsner afterwards, a cleanse your palate, or, you, or you're just going to be done drinking after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you need something a little... Uh... Something a little, little lighter, a little cleaner, a little crisper to kind of to kind of clean it off there. Yeah, and that's what we did. We went over to Belmont Station, a fantastic, one of the better uh, beer bar slash beer stores in the country. And I actually was able we had we had like just some like pilsnery type beers. I had a I had a um, segment ever, but I I I was able to get a I I, I may have talked before about Drie Fontanen, um, which is my fate, which means three fountains in Dutch. Um, it, it's one of my favorite, it's my favorite Lambic brewery and they had some on the shelf at Belmont and they make, um, some of their, um, Lambics they'll add honey to. And when they do that, there's a little B on the label. And uh, as my daughter is named B, we pretty much hunt for everything with bees on it. Um, so they had this, their Creek with honey. And so they all had little bees on lips. So I bought like three bottles of it. I'm like, I'm like I need these. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was really excited. It was all around great beer trip to Portland as usual. I hit up a handful of breweries and one of my favorite beer stores. So um, all around good. And, and cheers to my wonderful partner who um, went along with it all. She so, is pretty <laughs> amazing to put up yeah. with you. Yeah. <laughs> and she we're was both, my daughter. We're both who, pretty lucky. My daughter who skipped uh many naps so that dad could <laughs> enjoy his beers. <laughs> um yeah. But yeah, so uh this is uh as to use your word ostensibly a WSU podcast. <laughs> uh so I guess we can talk yeah, about more or less. Um so we thought we were gonna be done talking about basketball. Uh but now this is we had a basketball-only podcast last Thursday, which I know a lot of you listen to. Yeah. Um, and I hope you found us then and have come around now, and now you're wondering why the hell they aren't talking about the Cougs. But, um, but anyway, so I guess, you know, I, for the first time, I'll actually happily lead off with basketball. Uh, Jeff, um, let's first talk about some comments Pat Chun made today. Um, yeah. On the Cougs and 60 podcast. Um, you're you're you have studied them a little more than me so um i know he was kind of talking about ernie not being um about as negative as you would see an athletic director be about a, a past coach yeah um, i think part of that you know a little bit he wasn't the guy who hired him and and he was stuck with the bill essentially and <laughs> yeah. uh, no pun intended no pun intended um and so yeah what, what stood out to you from that uh podcast today yeah, I mean that was that was really the big thing was that he was he was sort of frank and um direct and and really I mean he wasn't as 
like scathing as I guess he could have been. Like if you're thinking like, okay, what could you say that would absolutely um, just sort of burn it to the ground with, you know, as far as the previous coach went, but it, it also was sort of like, I mean, it was clear that he was like Ernie Kent did not do his job well and we have fired him because of that and we will do better. You know, it was just sort of like, um, and he made a lot of it's, you know, there's, there's as much in what someone doesn't say as what they do say. Right. Or what they allude to without necessarily specifically making a direct comment about. And so, you know, he was on there for about 10 minutes Um, he made one nice comment about Ernie and it was like the first comment. And even that was like really backhanded. It was like, um, it was like, you know, I, I, I don't have the quote in front of me right this second. Hold on. But it just was sort of like, um, Oh, Ernie has done a great job off the court. Okay. So great. Right. Like I really, and that was something that Ernie always, you know, hung his hat on, right. Was that um, my players graduate, even though like most of them transfer and whatever. But anyway, he said, uh, Ernie has done a great job off the court. I really enjoyed what he did to try (laughs) and develop young people, but the challenge, what was going on, wasn't showing dividends on the basketball court and our guys want to win. And so like the, the word try, I'm just like, Oh my God, like that is so backhanded, right? Like, like I appreciate his effort, even though the effort was not, you know, good enough, but anyway, it, you know, so there was that. And then, um, and then the rest of it was, was really just a lot of, um, you know, referencing sort of all of the forces that converged, uh, that, that he felt like really forced him to make, make the move. Um, the biggest one being, you know, we all have sort of focused on the, the contract, right. You know, the contract, you know, it's too much, it's too much and they can't possibly afford this. Um, and, and basically what he said was, which is kind of what we suspected as we, as we talked about this last week was that, um, you know, there's a cost to not firing him. Right. And, and, you know, Chun used those exact words. He said that, um, you know, the cost of inaction was greater than the cost of action. And a lot of that had to do with, um, you know, tickets. He talked about ticket sales. He talked about apathy on the campus among students Um, and sort of embedded in that, which I thought was actually really smart, was this understanding that, you know, making hardcore fans out of students is what eventually pays off down the line in donations. At least that was that was the connection I made because he talked right. about needing to get freshmen in particular into these games and enjoying these games and really sort of, um, you know, b- basically building a habit out of going to these games, whether it's, you know, football right. or volleyball or soccer or basketball. And so um, – you know, that was something that I found sort of really interesting. So he talked about apathy and he, and, and then he just talked about, um, you know, the fact that, that these students, the, the players are only on campus for a short amount of time and, um, WSU owed it to them to give them basically to give them a better coach, which again right. was, was sort of like, holy hell, yeah. like these, like, this is really like blatant and transparent and, um, not at all coded. Like normally athletic directors go for sort of the coded, um, you know, criticisms, uh, and this was this was not coded at all. This was uh, very direct um, and very matter of fact. And, uh, you know, really sort of when he started talking about what he was looking for in the next coach, I think that also really highlighted, um, you know, what it was that, that he felt like was lacking uh, under Ernie. 
Yeah. Um, uh, to go back to your uh, to his students point, um, if you think about it, it's an it's a one. Um, there's a nice example from the basketball side of the carryover went to when Ken Bone was the coach from the Tony Bennett era, where students were still going to the game and there was actually really good student attendance. And then there's a, a lot of people my age who went to school during Tony Bennett and Dick Bennett era who are deeply invested in the basketball team. And and they have, and I've seen a lot of them who were, and I've seen a lot of them kind of lose apathy. And a lot of them just straight up follow Tony Bennett still um, at Virginia. Um, but, it, but you know, it's hard to follow. Um, and a lot of, like, I, I knew a lot of people that didn't know any much about basketball. So they thought, like, it's funny, you would, you would have friends that would, we do uh, the NCAA pools, which we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, th- you'd see them when they, you have to pick the final score as a tiebreaker, and their their scores would be like fifty-two to fifty or whatever. I'm like, yeah, you watch too much Bennett ball. <laughs> like, um, but uh, but yeah. So but, but then you look at the other example from football from the Wolf years. Uh, there's a huge gap. Um, and and it's even the tradition, you know, there's a tradition that started during the Wolf years that I think it took till this year to kind of hedge a bit was leaving at halftime. Like the students yeah. would just straight, even if it was like, there was, there. I saw games that were not in doubt. They were definitely still in doubt. We're playing a Pac-12 team and students would just bail at halftime. Like the weather be okay, whatever, you know, and they just bail. And because that was a, a tradition that started the football game itself wasn't that important like the outcome because they were trained to like not really give a crap about the outcome because like it was going to be shitty in the second half anyway and i don't even blame them like i'm so glad that i i narrowly met like i had i had i was like i had the the holiday ball my freshman year and then i had you know the tread and water doba years and then but god i can't even imagine if you started school in 2008 and that's you had 2008, 2012. Mike Leach's first season, just you know, just horrendous football. Like it, you know, not even the number of wins, but the the style and, and manner in which they lost. And and just because the second half didn't matter when you're losing his Paul's very first home game, it's they lose 66 to three. Like why the hell would you even or get, game in Pullman because he had a Seattle game first, but. Um, but after that, it's like, well, what the hell are we into? And then that was there was a sixty-nine to nothing game that year. There was just a lot of games where they just got down a bunch. I don't like even in you know uh, the 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 better when the teams were a little bit more competitive towards the end of his uh, reign. Uh, they they a lot of the games were close because they just threw up some po- meaningless points at the end. So and nothing was really going to happen and. So it was, you know, it's it's uh, that Chun's right. Like you build this culture of, of freshmen and, and sophomores. Uh, they they kind of, if if you can catch and catch them um, while they're in school, because that student experience at a game is just unmatched. And even now, like I don't even know if I'd want it now. Like I'm too old. I, I like sitting, all that stuff. But but you know, <laughs> but uh, but like but, but when I was in school, I was the one waiting in line. For five hours for the football game, yeah. overnight for the UCLA game in 2007. Like I was super into that, and and look look at what I did. You know, I write for Coog Center. I'm a CAF member. 
Um, you know, I, 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 the first thing I did when I moved back to Washington is I, you know, uh, put in for season tickets as soon as I could for the football team. And, um, and, you know, I, I, uh, I've often considered buying season tickets for the basketball team, but it's, I just know I'm not going to go to any of the games because it's such like it, because of the winter the Snoqualmie sucks and right. or whatever. But if but honestly, I'd be more likely to brave Snoqualmie if we had some good teams. So yeah. But 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 uh, but I'm 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 invested in it. You know, I've spent a lot of time on WC basketball and and um, I definitely donate more money to the CAF because of the experience I had at Martin Stadium and the experience I had in Beasley Coliseum and um, it, it's. It, it it it's definitely a true point um I, if you want teams invested in sports and your sports program and truly in a, a, a broader connection to the university as a whole can be made through sports and we'll get into that in a little bit um but uh it it's it, it's a great point um i'm glad chun mentioned that um that was obviously a clear driver for him was the apathy um because he 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 didn't explicitly say it was financial because um, he said that you know it, it became um, you know evident that we had to fire and so, you know regardless of the buyout or anything um, but yeah there is a financial aspect of and we talked about that on Thursday of firing him because you're losing these this money in the future of season ticket holders and donors yeah. and and um, just invested fans um, so yeah. I think that was a that was um, I, I was I was impressed uh, that he would say those things. I I, I mean, uh, sorry to like jump on Ernie, but I guess when you're when you're uh, paying the guy four point two million not to coach at university anymore, like you don't really have to like pull any punches. Yeah, because uh, he he got his. I know money's not everything, but um, I think Ernie, this is honestly better better for him not to be coaching this shitty team for like he was taking years off his life i'm sure well if he was that invested we'll see i don't really know but uh, yeah. but you know but it, it, that can't have been fun for him uh and now he gets four point two four point two million to not deal with that anymore and wsu can move on and uh jeff and uh, so on that note it's very early uh we've had we haven't heard any rumors um right now it's all speculation but I kind of want to, um, and we'll talk about this in future podcasts, because um, I'm sure this won't happen for a few weeks at least. So um, who are you thinking, you know, I know me and you, um, we've, we've had a lot of discussion about kind of some out-of-the-box coaches and, and, and some, uh, you know, some t- targets at smaller schools that we should, we should be looking at. Uh, kind of who are some names early on uh, beyond kind of some of the, like, obvious names that probably wouldn't come here anyway? Um, but who are some names early on that 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 you've been looking at? And that I know you have a uh, you've developed a full on crush on one of them. So yeah, so so I've really got two, um, and, and like we talked about, um, you know, kind of the key here is, is is we feel like we need to look for someone who is not necessarily off the radar, but just sort of like you know fills a a niche, right? Is is doing something that is different and um, allows the coach to, you know, in particular because of talent, you know, recruit from, from maybe a slightly different talent pool, um, to say, okay, I'm looking for a player who fits a a specific system, who fits a, 
um, a specific style of play that, you know, in much the same way the Bennett's did, right? Um, where they could recruit guys who were not necessarily untalented. They recruited guys who were talented. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Look at, you know, the pro careers that some of those guys have had. Um, but but guys who fit sort of a very specific mindset, a very specific skill set. And so I, I feel like any coach that we get, um, you know, needs to be that way. And I also feel like it needs to lean um, towards defense. You know, I, I, I mean, I guess we could sort of lean towards offense, but um, you know, it, it seems like when the Cougars have been successful historically, um, and, and you know, and I can't speak to anything really sort of pre Kelvin Sampson, you know, Kelvin Sampson was sort of like um, when, when I kind of became aware of, you know, WSU basketball. Um, I was in high school at the time. Um, you know, I remember him taking, I think it was 1994, you know, taking a team to the NCAA tournament. Um, I remember my trigonometry teacher was kind enough to put uh, the Cougars game on, I believe it was against BC um, yep. on the TV. Yeah. So they, they totally um, blew it at the end. Yes, they did. So, and at the time I was a Husky fan too. So I remember laughing, but we'll just yeah. forget about all that. Um, and and so and the uh, teacher's name was Mr. Farber. So if Mr. Farber's listening to the podcast, I remember you. All right. So anyway, he is. totally listening. Um, and so you know, it's I tend to skew towards defense simply because, you know, that was where um, you know Samson's teams had success of it being tough, and and they weren't necessarily only defensive, but um, you know that was definitely where the emphasis was. And then you know the, obviously the Bennett's, you know, for six years, you know, building. Um, something out of out of you know players who would seemingly not be necessarily Pac-12 players, but um, creating a, a competent Pac-12 team out of these guys. So the two guys I'm looking at, um, one guy actually. So we're recording this on uh, on Tuesday night, and the first four kicked off tonight. Um, one of the things that I actually hate about the NCAA tournament is the first four, but we'll just we'll just leave that out uh, <laughs> because I think it's so stupid. Uh, but anyway. And anyway, if you are going to have a first four, why not have all the 11 seeds play in the first four? Exactly. And then, and then let them duke it out and just let the 16s make it to the. They won. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. If, I'm, I'm just going to add something. Yeah. Those, those teams won their conference tournament. Yeah. Automatic bid. Yeah. Let, let them be in the let actual them tournament. Be in the tournament. Yeah. Make, make the teams that like Temple, who probably should have never even been there with an at-large bid. Yep. Yeah. Have them duke it out. But anyway, the last, yeah, take the last eight teams, have them duke it out and whatever, if you got to do it that way. Anyway, one of the 16 seeds was uh, Prairie View A&M. And so uh, should, we should have a story going up on the site either Wednesday or Thursday, but just sort of looking at some of these coaching candidates that maybe are a little outside the box or outside the, the consciousness. Uh, Prairie View A&M's coach, Byron Smith, is one of those guys. And, and so if you're not like a huge college basketball fan, probably don't know a whole lot about the Southwestern Athletic Conference, um, but I guess I can put it this way. It's filled with uh, historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, right? And, you know, there's really no way to sugarcoat the fact that they suck every year. These are some of like the least funded athletic programs. Um, their teams are typically pretty terrible. In fact, uh, Prairie View A&M, you know, which played tonight, they had won 20 before tonight had won 21 of their last 22 games. Well, 
before that, their first 12 games, they went 1-11 because they played their first 12 games on the road to get paydays. Like, this is what the HBCUs do right. to pay the bills. So anyway, so to have a, a pretty good um, SWAC team is actually really rare. Most of their teams are um, pretty regularly ranked in the 300s and in, in the Ken Palm rankings. Um, so sort of in the bottom 50, like their 10 teams or 12 teams or whatever it is are usually ranked in the bottom 50 of, of the national rankings. So, um, so their team was ranked 206 and this is a guy who's been there for three years. He's taken them from 313 all the way to 209 this year, which is actually right ahead of, of, or was right ahead of WSU. Um, and, and one of the things that he does consistently is uh, he has a really good defense, particularly for um, for a SWAC team. And then it's built on uh, creating turnovers. So, uh, you know, for the last like really four years, um, starting with the year that he took over kind of as the interim coach halfway through the year, um, up through this year, they've been among the the country's leaders actually enforcing turnovers. So, um, so that's the kind of system that maybe you bring a guy in and he can recruit um, athletes who maybe are a little unrefined offensively you know, in terms of skill, but are able to really run and jump, um, and, and just sort of do things lengthwise to disrupt, uh, defensively, uh, and then create easy buckets going the other way. That's a fun thing. If, if anybody watched the game tonight, you saw Fairleigh Dickinson make a ton of turnovers, um, which really allowed them to get out to a big lead. Eventually they, they sort of choked it off or choked it up. Um, part of that I think was due to, you know, their offense is, is kind of sketchy, which is pretty, pretty typical for a SWAC team, but, um, that was a thing. And then the other guy, so this is my, this, this guy has become my man crush. Okay. So, so this is, uh, and, and this is a name that's actually been floated by, this is not a name, an off the grid name like Byron Smith was with Prairie View and m um, This is a guy who ends up on some of the lists, uh, but I kind of want to make the case that, that we should really sort of take this one seriously. And this is Russell Turner at UC Irvine. Um, he's been there for nine years. Um, he's taken them to the tournament twice, including this year. There are 13 seeds, so they play, I don't know, Thursday or Friday. Um, but one of the things that I that kind of love about him is that when I look at his defensive metrics, um, it's, it's very, very pack line-ish. Um, in the way that right. it's it's put together. And so um, in the last six years, they have not ranked below 82nd nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency. And that's pretty great for a big West team. Um, they had a pair of top 50 finishes, which again was, is really great for a big West team. And then when you consider this, so in the last um, six years in two point defense, two point percentage defense, Here's their national rankings. First, fourth, sixth, fourth, 16th, first. (laughs) And so for, for a team in the big West, like, okay. So if you are like me and every time you watch the Cougars, just give up another layup and another layup and another fucking layup where it's like no resistance whatsoever, that will change the moment that dude accepts the job. Um, another thing they do is they actually don't allow a ton of threes and they're really good at defending the line. So here's their, um, effective field goal percentage, which of course combines the three point and two point, but fifth, fifth, sixth, ninth, 22nd, second and 21st. So this is a guy who, you know, is really hangs his hat on defense. 
Um, he's got experience in the NBA as an assistant with the Golden State Warriors. Now, this is up to like 2010. Um, so this is obviously pre-Steve Kerr, but he was under Mike Montgomery uh, at Golden State. He was also an assistant under Montgomery at Stanford. Um, and we know Montgomery was sort of uh, a defense first kind of guy. So, you know, he's a guy who has a long track record of hanging his head on defense and being consistently good at that's sort of one specific thing. And, and then just sort of the last thing is that um, over the years, he's had some success recruiting internationally. His last NCAA tournament team back in, what was it, 2015, I think is what it was. Yeah, 2015, um, he had four international players, and his two best players were international, one from uh, the United Kingdom, another one from Senegal, if anybody remembers, uh, Mamadou Njai. Yeah. I actually watched him play. I was at that game, that opening round game they played against Louisville. I think it was in Portland. Um, and so I was at that game. I, I mostly remember that because Rick Patino was like 25 feet onto the court and the refs wouldn't make him get off, which was sort of annoying. But um, anyway, he was like a seven foot five center from Senegal. So anyway, this is a guy who, who kind of checks all the boxes, you know, he's, he's recruiting from places that are unusual and he's got a, a strong system that he has uh, developed and refined and is committed to and has ridden it to success um, at a school that hadn't had any success. Um, these are their first two tournament appearances and he's coached them both. So, so that's my case for Russell Turner at UC Irvine. I know he he's going to come up on a lot of these lists just because he's a successful mid-major coach, but um, I think it goes a little deeper than that, particularly when we compare him to a guy like Travis DeQuire, DeQuire, DeCure. I have no idea how to pronounce that, but the coach of at Montana. I mean, he's doing kind of what every Montana coach does. That's a really good uh, mid-major basketball program. So, you know, a guy like that, I just kind of shrug my shoulders. A guy like Turner, I go, yeah, like that's, that kind of checks all the boxes for what WSU needs. So Craig, who you got? So I'm just going to talk a little bit about a couple of years. Uh, so yeah, I, I knew you were going to talk about Russell Turner, so I wasn't going to take that one, but yes, Oh my gosh, like you look at his peripheral stats, it's just like, because obviously we're, um, we don't get to watch a lot of these guys, these teams that much. So uh, we're, we're, he- we're relying heavily and, and you can actually get an insane amount of insight into what, what a coach does, just looking at the trends of their peripheral statistics, statistics. And then, um, but yeah, like uh, Russell Turner, just, yeah, that's, that's a guy I, I think all of us would just be thrilled to have. Um, uh, to your point on the SWAC, uh, I, I review, I, I, uh, previewed the, uh, MIAC, which is kind of the SWAC's cousin, um, multiple times for basketball protect prospectus and ESPN. And you talk about, we're writing these previews months before the season starts. And I can guarantee these schools aren't paying, uh, their, uh, marketing and PR staff to work all year. Because their the rosters just wouldn't be updated, emails and calls to their athletic departments just would be unanswered. Like when I'm trying to write a preview for their season, and I don't even and there's so many transfers and stuff at these small schools, like it that like I can't even. So yeah, that's just a kind of a point of how you know cash draft these these uh, teams are, and yeah, honestly to build a number two hundred team is actually an accomplishment like it's well we'll talk about some we talk about you know irvine it's nice when they're top 100 but like seriously if you're a prairie view a and m and you're hitting 200 like that's that's pretty good like i 
The MEAC actually finished as the worst conference this year, um, which is pretty rare. Usually the SWAC finishes. Um, um, the MEAC, the uh, best team in the league, um, was Norfolk State, and they are number 256 on Ken Palm. Every single other team is 300 and above. And so that's what these HBCU schools, um, people talk talk about the last people think WSU was a hard job. Any of those schools is a hard job. Oh my like God. People have no, job. people have no idea how much, how much harder those HBCU like, jobs are. There are plenty are. of high schools with better resources than, yes. than, uh, than, than some of these college basketball programs. That's so, not hyperbole. Yeah, that's not hyperbole. High schools, junior colleges. Um, there's probably guys transferred from JCs who had better facilities, all this stuff. So, so, um, that these it's, uh, yeah. So, so be, uh, Keep that in mind when we're looking at, yeah, you you don't just stick to their, you got to look at the process the guys put in. And and, and that's why we look at the peripherals. Um, I like to click on the conference-only stats because that's that's their peers. And you got to look at how these guys are performing against their peers. Um, so I have, I have a couple, and they're definitely out of the box, and they're highly unlikely. Um, but they're guys um, that uh, are both, you know, you know, I lived out east for a bit in the northeast, so. So uh, um, maybe I got a little bias for that. But um, uh, the first is a, um, a guy out in Buffalo. Um, it's hard to ignore what um, Buffalo has done uh, the last two years, um, especially this year. Uh, they're 22nd in Kempom. Last year they were 67th, they, they, and they got an upset, got to the second round. Um, so... Uh, uh, Nate Oates uh, took over f- after Bobby Hurley went to Arizona State. Um, he plays an extremely high-tempo offense. Um, it's they their uh, tempo ranks, adjusted tempo ranks since he's been coach are 27th, 37th, 16th, and 8th this year. Um, adjusted offense not so good the first two years, 158, 153. The last two years, 34 and 20. Um, and then this year he bumped up the defense, 29. Um, they, one thing I liked about the defense, they force some turnovers and they don't let teams shoot threes. And, and it's, it's just amazing. And especially in this day and age, how, how much the three point line drives point production. Um, if you're not letting teams shoot threes, how much that can just make you successful. Um, but yeah, they had the third shortest average um offensive possession see people thought ernie was going to be fast but ernie never had a fast team like this like ernie didn't play these high tempo high pressure defenses and 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 just when i'm reading it like it just i that this is what buffalo is doing and 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 that's not a defensive system but it is a system um they had the four the second best at limiting assists so like they're just uh you know they're forcing guys to you know beat them one-on-one and all that like um it's they're definitely playing a man-to-man defense which is uh big for me jeff i know big for you (laughs) really Uh, really really big because it's interesting they actually had pretty long defensive possessions uh 17.9 seconds 277th on that but they had um 14.4 seconds on their um uh offensive possessions uh long the 17.9 is not super long but it's not it's it, compared to their offense uh but yeah they're you know they're good he has a good three-point shooting team like they they shoot threes i'm, I'm also fine with 
um, a team that shoots a lot of threes because um, that that's a pretty easy skill to find in recruiting now. A lot of kids just grow up shooting threes all day, so that's not that hard. Um, I, I, lo- I looked at their roster, just kind of looked at where the guys are coming from. Not like you know. So one of the things I was impressed. It's not there. There's there's a there's a uh, the biggest transfer was from uh, Houston. He's not playing this year. Um, uh, but but it, yeah, you you got a lot of guys that are from Ohio, Florida, Texas, Florida. Uh, uh, definitely a few guys from New York. But he's he's not just recruiting the Northeast. Um, and they got you know some. Uh, so it's just, you know, that we're looking for a style. Obviously, we can do a defensive style, and I think that's what I prefer, and that's what you prefer. But you know what? It'd be, it'd be if you have a good coach, and he coaches to a system, um, if you, you, I mean, that that's the most important thing. Um, and if he's, he's running one of the highest tempo offenses in the country, he knows the type he's looking for. You don't necessarily need those, you don't necessarily need the long guys and you know, whatever. Um, if, 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 if you're able to grab it out of the net and run, um, maybe you can, you can find that talent that can do that, um, without necessarily looking for the bulked up guys to play defense, whatever. Um, so, um, his profile encourages me a lot because also his teams have improved every year. Um, obviously Hurley had some success there, uh, but, uh, nothing like, um, Nate, the team that Oates put out this year. Um, so, um, I'd look for them as a six seed to, um, have some success and, and, uh, um, but obviously if we focus on tournament results, I think that's a folly. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then, um, the other guy is definitely kind of an, I don't expect this at all to happen, but, um, as, uh, some of you may know, uh, I went to grad school at the university of Vermont. Um, and Vermont is a bit of a, a powerhouse in the America East. Um, at least in the uh, non-conference or the the conference schedule, um, obviously uh, uh, getting to the tournament in a in a low major conference is a bit of a crapshoot because it doesn't matter how well you dominate your conference schedule, you still have to win that conference tournament, which usually is, you know, um, uh, it's weird. Uh, the America East did it a couple of years where they'd have all the all the uh, um, all the uh, all the games up to the semifinal were on home campuses, and then they would have the championship at a neutral location. But I think they've went away from that now. But um, the coach, um, he uh, he took over uh, many years ago in 2012 um, uh, for another coach who, uh, um, Mike Lonergan, who um, went to uh, uh, what was it, George Washington? Is that right? Um, and then kind of uh is most known for um being run out for uh some kind of uh well you can read about it look him up it's a uh, not not nice stuff but john becker has not had that happen um uh so one one of the things that stands out to me is the america east is not a super good conference um it's definitely definitely higher than it's definitely better than the uh, MEACs and the SWACs of the world, uh, but not a whole lot better. And most teams range, uh, the good teams typically range, or the better teams in the league typically range around the 150s, and the worst teams are some of the worst teams in college basketball in the 330s and stuff. 
So it's a, a, but Vermont, and so you don't see a lot of top 100 teams come out of this conference. But um, under John Becker, the last three years, uh, Vermont has went 63rd, 76th, and 80th in the Kempom rankings. Uh, they also hit 75th in his third year. Um, so he plays a slow style. They they play um, a motion, ball screen, heavy offense, uh, kind of a very modern offense, um, which they switched to in, like, 2014. Um, they had previously ran a different offense, but um, but he... he he made um, one of the things that's impressive to me is he purposely made changes. So previously Vermont recruited almost exclusively the Northeast, um, but under Becker they have reached out to Canada, reached out to different parts of the country, the Midwest, um, uh, and and various other like Louisiana, Arkansas, places like that to find talent. And Jeff, like you were talking about, you got to have a guy who is willing to go anywhere to find talent. And I think Becker, he changed his recruiting philosophy specifically to do that. And Vermont's actually improved since then. Uh, They went from, you know, those 120s, 150s regularly, and now like three straight top 100 teams from an America East team is very unusual. Um, Vermont is a threat to upset every year. That's where they're getting 13 seed. They're not a 16 seed. They're a 13 seed this year. Um, but yeah, they, um, uh, one thing that stands out to me and I, and I mentioned to you, Jeff, I kind of get attracted to, um, any team who's very good at defensive rebounding. Cause then you automatically know they're playing man to man. Yep. And then, and then, and then the fact that, so Vermont actually is second, which this is kind of tempered by the fact that they play in a small conference or whatever, but they're second nationally in offensive rebounding percentage. And they, against the America East this year, they, they were um, 88, so they, they gave up um, 88 and a half points per 100 possessions, which is dominant. Um, yep. and, and then they also scored 110 points per 110 possessions, per 100 possessions. So they were, they were just dominating their peers. And Vermont is definitely, I, I would say, like, in terms of resources, they're probably a little bit, uh, there's, there's America East, you have some, um, you have a lot of, uh, like Maine and Albany, which are sort of like state schools, uh, that so that they're kind of on par with Maine and Albany, and New Hampshire in terms of resources. Um, but uh, you know, then you have others that maybe not so much. But I I don't see them as a as, you know that they, they're the gym is like so when I was in school, uh, when I was in school there we'd play pickup ball in the actual gym, and they would just roll the bleachers out. For two extra, that was their practice court, and then also their home court. So the practice court happened when they roll the bleachers out and push them into the wall like a high school gym. And so it, and I mean, it might see. I'll, I can give you the exact number of what it seats. It seats it says thirty two sixty six, but um, that's it's packed for that. Uh, I went to obviously some games while I was there, and, um, but yeah, they're obviously they're really into it because uh, Vermont. Uh, is uh, almost always a good team relative to their league. And, and uh, Becker has, I think, taken them to a, another level consistently. Um, the team this year that's not full of seniors, uh, there's one senior that is kind of one of the main rotation guys. And then you got a, a, a lot of sophomores, juniors, freshmen in there. So it's not like it's he's taken the senior-laden team and that's how – 
they're ranked 80th in the country and out of the American East. Like he's built a program there, um, and so that's what impresses me uh, that he switched. He he basically switched his philosophy from from uh, uh, just from. Uh, from an offensive standpoint and from a recruiting standpoint, and it's paid dividends, and that impresses me. I know it's a small school and not a great conference, but to be able to create teams like that out of that conference, out of Vermont, which is a state of 600,000 people, um, so it's it's just a, 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 a an impressive thing to me, and I, I would totally be fine with Becker being hired. That being said, I, I think probably Turner um, is what I'm leaning to from, from here. <laughs> point of view but but I, I definitely if they hired becker I, you know i i wouldn't mind taking that gamble if you if you want to call it that heck yeah that would be great and, and you know to be honest i think if we take you know if we take pat chun at his word um one of the things he said was basically these guys just need to be better coached okay yeah. so if, if we take him at his word okay then you know a guy like becker is you know i mean he's a better coach i mean he's yeah. you know and, and i know that you know one of the things that um is you know i think i believe is going to happen you know as long as chun makes a makes a sound higher and you know i mean it, obviously that sort of remains to be seen because we haven't really seen much um all we've really seen is you know the women's coach um, that he hired for the women's basketball team. So, you know, who knows whether he can actually pull it off or not, whether he can actually sell the program. But, um, you know, as long as he hires someone competent, things should really get better almost no matter what. Yeah. I know that sounds horrible, um, but but that really is true. I mean, I mean, Ernie Kent did such a poor job um, with a defense that was ranked around 300th um, in, in the Ken Palm adjusted defensive efficiency metric. Um, you know, and, and I, and, you know, I think Pat Chun alluded to that in his interview without maybe necessarily saying it or, or you know, and I don't even know if he understood kind of what he was saying, but like he mentioned that, you know, Hey, with, with, uh, you know, it was WSU put together sort of the second worst record. I think what he said was uh, WSU put together the second worst record of any team with the leading scorer in the pack 12 or pack 10 or pack eight or whatever. That's quite a um, <laughs> which is quite a stat, but, but I think, you know, what that really speaks to is just how horrendous the defense was, right? Cause mm-hmm. if you have the leading scorer, um, that says something sort of about, you know, the points you're able to put on the board, um, the, the efficiency, which, w- with which you're able to do that, and, and, you know, and, and to be honest, WSU wasn't a particularly good, um, offense this year, even with Franks, but, um, what, what really did them in was the defense was so tremendously terrible. And, and so I think, you know, I hope that he sort of realizes that, okay, so, you know, when I talk about, you know, Frank, we have Franks, we have Ellaby, you know, these two, or we had, you know, Franks and LB's two really, um, talented players that the reason why the team was sort of not able to succeed, um, was that the defense was so, uh, just so unbelievably ungodly awful, um, that, you know, really undermine anything that the offensive coach was able to do. And so, you know, I don't know that he necessarily needs to go to a defensive coach. Obviously you lean that direction a little bit. Um, the, the natural tendency is to sort of swing back the other direction. Um, you know, when something doesn't work out, I mean, I think you see this in sports teams all the time, right? They, they, you know, they have an offensive coach, things aren't really working out. Okay. Let's swing towards a defensive coach. Or we have a, a player's coach who's really permissive. Let's swing back towards a disciplinarian. I, I mean, you see this in sports all the time. And so I think it's natural for us, um, to want to swing back that direction with, of course, the context that, you know, the greatest amount of success we've had in the last 15 years 
years is with a with a defensive minded coach. So, you know, I, I don't think it necessarily has to go that direction, but I do think they need to play um, some competent defense. You know, they need to be. Yep. <laughs> you know, at the very least, a top 150 team. If that's what you're going to do defensively, then your offense has to be like a top 50 team, kind of like what um, what Utah did this year, right? But even Utah wasn't really sniffing the tournament um, no. with what they did. And so, you know, it just really seems like, you know, defense first is really the way to go at WSU. Um, and, and a coach who's really committed. I think that's something Chen said he was looking for was somebody really committed to an identity and a vision. Um, and, and so I really hope he kind of lands on, on maybe the, uh, you know, an identity and a vision that that's really defense centered. Yeah. And, and to your point, even, you know, we we think of Ernie as an offensive focused coach, but he had one top 100 offense in his five yep. years at WSU. First year. First year, uh, he hit 108 another time, but the other years 187, 171, and 141 yep. uh, adjusted offensive efficiency ranking on Kempom. That is not good. That that's, yeah, that's not, also like, bad. If, <laughs> that, yeah, that's yeah, that, that's that's very bad, especially for a Pac-12 team, and and just especially from a coach who doesn't even. Uh, clearly doesn't focus on defense in any way whatsoever um to also have a de- offense that bad um yeah, it's just uh, uh that that's why that's why you know jeff has written and we've said you know we at least need a coach who's got a system instead of just you know whatever and but but yeah the defensive because if you take care of the defensive side uh, that's going to win you some game, games from just that 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 aspect um and and you can uh with the defensive focused teams, uh, uh, defense is uh, more 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 so than offense. Defense is about dedication and and principles. And um, you can take a guy who's maybe not as talented, but you know, get him to focus and hustle, and and you can make a good defensive player. Maybe not a great on ball defensive player, but if he's playing with an entire team where they're um, they have the defensive philosophy in place that you can mask some of those things while in offense, it's a little harder to do that. Um, yeah. So I'm definitely, I agree with you, Jeff, a uh, big shock from our listeners to be that we're in agreement on many things. Um, so yeah, um, those are some of our choices for coach. Uh, we're going to start hearing more things. Um, I think, yeah, Russell Turner is definitely the most uh, legitimate candidate that we've talked about. Um, but yeah, so, uh, we were going to talk about the defensive line, uh, this week for spring ball preview, but, um, obviously some shit has happened this week. So, uh, we're pushing that back till next week. Um, spring ball starts next week. Uh, so we'll, we'll ease right into that. Um, we'll talk more about that for you guys. And then obviously it'll be a lot of spring ball, um, for the month after that going forward until, uh, um, we'll be at the, uh, spring game and having fun there. Um, yeah, so, uh, the next, Jeff, you know, I would say we usually do a pop culture segment. We're already an hour and 11 deep into this thing. Um, I say, I think the NCAA tournament is pop culture. Yeah, I would, I would agree. 100% yeah, like pop every, culture. Everyone's mom is filling out a bracket, right? So, yeah, I mean, like at my school, we have our, you know, bracket pool and our, uh, our bracket pool manager was, was proposing a, uh, 
was proposing a change to our scoring system this year. And our secretary, who if anybody's ever worked in a school, our office manager, um, the office manager really runs the place. She was having none of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when you when your office manager is having none of it, you know that this is pop culture for sure. Yep. So um, before we get started on this, hold on, let me. <laughs> side crack piece. Second. So this week it's um, usually my side piece is a logger of sorts. I've I've become as I've gotten deeper and deeper into this beer nerd game, um, I've uh, I've become very um, uh, fond of lo- like well done pilsners and loggers um, because that really like there's nothing to hide in these styles and and um, it's just impressive when a, 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 a brewer can execute it well. Uh, so this is Wayfinder Hell. Um, a Hellas Lager, uh, really creative name there, um, but Hellas, uh, so a Hellas Lager style, um, compare it to a Pilsner, uh, Hellas Lager is going to be a little sweeter, um, maybe not as crisp, but, uh, but not as hoppy, a little more balanced, uh, than a Pilsner would be, um, just a, a nice, like, beer to come down with, uh, come down at the end of the night. Um, this way—it's from Wayfinder. Um, as I mentioned, we went to them this week, and they do a lot of lager styles. I tried a Baltic Porter from them, which is actually a—I know it's called a Porter, but it is a lager style. Um, um, and we can, when we have more time, I'll, I'll get into a difference between a lager and an ale later. Um, but uh, which most of you probably know anyway. But um, but uh, so I'm drinking a, a Hell Lager uh, from uh, uh, Wayfinder. They do a lot of lager styles. Excellent brewery. Um, be on the lookout for them. Um, I'd highly recommend their tap room is so cool in Portland. Uh, check it out if you're down there. Really cool branding, all that stuff. But uh, I won't belabor that, Jeff. Let's let's. So typically, you know, everyone likes to talk about upsets, and the upsets that people always like to brag about they get are those twelve fives, those twelve five upsets. Oh God, yeah. Twelve five upsets happen what, like forty percent of the time, or yeah, those are for wimps. Yeah. Like at twelve five is like you're 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 like okay the the forty fifth best team beat the twenty fifth best team or or twentieth best team like is that that like crazy I don't know like that's uh but but when you get the I think the more impressive so the fifteens and sixteens I mean I'm not gonna dive into trying to predict those those. Because when you get the 15s and 16s, that's when you get the SWAC schools and the MEAC schools. Although right. you did have a MEAC school, Norfolk State, a few years ago, uh, upset. But that was that's yeah, why but it's impossible upset. to predict. It's, it was so extreme. But even even these, so even hard, like even still, like so, what we're gonna do is look at the 13 and the 14 lines and 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 offer up some some of our best guesses on 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 what is. I'm I'm not saying they're predictions, but but like. Who we think would be most likely to pull an upset, uh, because these are still pretty big upsets. You're talking about teams that range in the 70s to the 120s, uh, beating teams that range in like from 10 to 25 or whatever. So uh, that's definitely an upset. Like if it happened in the regular season, it would be a huge upset. Uh, so uh, in the tournament, that's why we freak out about these, because um, they typically are very big upsets. Um, because this is when you're starting to see the automatic bids come into play, as in the 13s and the 14s. We do see some, uh, we do see some of the uh, at-large bids uh, venture into the 13s at times now, but uh, I'm not sure if that happened this year. 
um, looking at who they are, who the teams are. I don't think that happened this year. But Jeff, um, so let's start with the 14 line. Let's 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 start with the bigger upsets. Um, uh, when when you're looking at the 14s versus the threes, who do you think would be? Actually, no, nah. Let's go 14. Let's go bigger upset. Let's go 14 versus threes uh, to to start. So who who are you looking at? Um, you can talk about all the games if you want. Uh, but but I, I want to hear who you think is most likely to win that fourteen versus three matchup. Yeah, there are a couple that I actually like. Um, I like uh, I well, first of all, I don't like Northern Kentucky. That is not one that I would touch with a twenty foot pole. Um, I don't particularly like Georgia State um, against Houston, uh, mostly because I, I I trust Houston's defense. Um, I do like Old Dominion against Purdue. Um, and that has a lot to do with uh, Old Dominion's defense is legit. Um, strong two-point defense. Uh, now, Purdue's offense is really built around three-pointers. So, um, you know, it could be a situation where, you know, they, they it really doesn't matter because, because Purdue's able to score um, from beyond the arc. But um, if, you know, Purdue has a bad shooting day, they're unlikely probably to find a lot of success uh, inside the arc. So, so I kind of like old dominion, but the big one, I really like, this is the one I really like. And, and, and this is not like, I think a, uh, you know, it's not really an out of the box thing. Um, but Yale over LSU, I think is a, is a good one. If you're looking for, so if you, if you're in a bracket pool where you get sort of bonus points for upsets, you know, Yale, I think is a pretty good one to look at. Um, LSU is a, is a fucking disaster right now, uh, because their coach is suspended. Uh, they crashed out of the sec tournament after winning the sec regular season title. Um, they're just a, a total mess. Now that might not make a huge, uh, difference except for the fact that Yale's actually pretty good. Um, they're ranked 82nd by Ken Palm. Um, they actually have a pretty dang good offense. Um, their defense is pretty suspect, ranked 149th, but their offense is ranked 45th. Um, and, the, and the thing they do really, really well is they make twos. Um, and I know that, you know, some of that is, of course, you know, playing against um, you know, playing against Ivy League teams for two thirds of their season. But, you know, it's a team that knows how to score. They do really everything well fundamentally. Um, you know, they score really well. They don't turn the ball over a ton. Um, and so they are just a team that's solid, you know, just sort of your typical Ivy League team, right? When you think of, you know, some of you that are my age might remember, you know, Bill Carmody, not Bill Carmody, uh, Pete Carell's uh, Princeton teams, right? And the big ups against UCLA and all that, whatever that was, you know, 25 years ago now. Um, and so, you know, Yale's kind of very much got that profile. So, you know, if they can execute and LSU gets flustered, I think LSU is ripe for an upset. Um, not that I necessarily think it will happen, as you as you mentioned, but uh, but I really think Yale's in a good position. You know, if 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 say Northern Kentucky was LSU's, uh, you know, 14 seed that they were playing, I might think, eh, you know, they'll probably survive that. Uh, but Yale's a pretty good team. You know, they're ranked 82nd overall. Uh, you know, that's that's pretty high for a 14 seed um in fact i think i'm trying to remember i was looking at it earlier but i think that might actually be higher or, or or really comparable to st john's which got in as an 11 seed so yale's a pretty good team and i i think that's a pretty good bet if you're looking for a, a for a team with value i love this because um 
I thought we were just going to be like along the same page and having the same picks, but no, no, not at all. I do whole wholeheartedly agree with you on Georgia State Houston. Uh, Houston like Houston defends threes really well. Uh, Georgia State hucks threes. Obviously, there's a chance for variance in there. I don't see it. Um, uh, Coog fans can cry over Calvin Sampson having another really good team. Yeah. A really good defensive team. Um, Yale, uh, one thing. So Old Dominion, Purdue. Uh, you know, I kind of had this, some of the same. So they both slow, very slow-paced teams, defensive-oriented teams. That game is going to be ugly. That game is not going to be fun. Like you're, no. you're it's going like whatever. You're going to be like not turning to that channel because you're. It's just going to be ugly because there's going to be three other games on. Um, it's, it's just not going to be fun to watch. Um, Purdue kind of one of their weaknesses I noticed on their defense was, excuse me, it was a three point line, but ODU doesn't really shoot well. And yeah, I just, I just don't see ODU having the offensive talent to overcome, uh, especially because Purdue, um, has a very clear size advantage on the inside and actually, that was my hesitance with Yale. I know Yale has a good offense. They're very fast-paced offense, um, but uh, they rely. And you, you talked about the two-pointers. They rely on that a lot more than a lot of these other small teams do. Um, LSU has two six ten, two fifty guys. Uh, they 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 are pretty good at defending two-point shots. I think LSU's size advantage. Uh, might eliminate Yale's primary offensive weapon there. Um, so so that wasn't my favorite. And funny enough, the one you poo-pooed right away, Northern Kentucky versus Texas Tech, because I'm talking about when we're looking at these 14 and threes, I'm looking at a very, like, some some, some high-variance thing that could happen, um, some, some crazy high-variance thing that could happen. Because if these teams are playing each other 100 times, um, almost all the times, like one of the, the higher seeds winning 85 to 90% of the time. So that 10 to 15%, some high variance thing has to happen. So Northern Kentucky has four very good three point shooters. And they shoot a lot of threes and they shoot them very well. They have a high volume of assists, which means they're not relying on a guy to break break down a defense and, and, uh, and make his own plays. Um, Tech does have a very good defense and a very good offense. They're they're the best uh, three seed, but they do allow a high volume of threes. Like uh, surprisingly, they um, I believe they were 277th or 200 and something in that. So if 224th, 224th. Uh, I think an, another team on my 13s was 277. Um, but but uh, so. Uh, you'll you'll I'll, you'll see a trend with me on these picks, but um, my pick is Northern Kentucky because of those three point shooters. I think when you see a lot of these upsets, it's it's crazy things like that where guys are draining threes all day, and they have four guys um, that shot. I might be I might be mixing my teams. No, they have four guys that are very good shooters, um, which you, which will come up when I talk about my next uh, my next one. But uh, but so I, that this is this is what I'm looking at. Uh, something crazy happening. Um, I, I think your LSU pick, given the other stuff, is is fair, but I think LSU might have the athleticism to lock down what Yale does well. Um, of of course, that uh, you know, uh, 
Uh, Princeton has proved that wrong many times. But um, but uh, but uh, Northern Kentucky, Texas Tech, um, Texas Tech goes down in a barrage of threes, um, uh, and they honestly don't have Tech doesn't have a big team. Like so, they uh, you know their best player is like six six one ninety or whatever. Like it's they 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 don't have a big front line. They had they do have one six ten guy, but you're talking about a lot of the other guys in their rotation six three six five six three six three six two. Like they're they're not going to overpower. Like Jared Culver is very good, but he's also just six six one ninety five. So it's um. I just don't think that from from an, uh, a size standpoint, they're not overpowering uh, a team like Northern Kentucky. Which, by the way, so I just want to, so I've I've written about Northern Kentucky in the past. Um, I covered them in their first year, cover uh, moving over uh, to the Atlantic Sun, um, and they they were just uh, god awful in the Atlantic Sun. Um, and they move in 2013 was their first year as a Division One. They moved from Division Two to Division One, and uh, they 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 peaked out. And the Atlantic Sun is 246, but still got a bid to the Horizon League, um, but got a move to the Horizon League. Um, 255 that first year. This John Brandon, maybe this is the guy we should be looking at. Um, and then the next three years, 138, 90, and 100. So like this is a a program that has in you know six years really built itself up quite a bit obviously kentucky is a great state for that i don't think there is more college basketball fans anywhere else in the world than in kentucky um but but uh, yeah so um i'm looking at northern kentucky um jeff what are you thinking on the 13s before i get to that i think that i, I like what you're saying because I think, you know, Ken Pomeroy, uh, you know, the the proprietor of KenPom.com, he's kind of talked about how, you know, teams that lean offense tend to perform a little bit better in the tournament. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the explanation seems fairly natural, which is kind of what you said. Like, you know, a, a defense first team is going to be a little more susceptible to a high variance, you know, event like lots of threes basically what did in Virginia, right? Last year against mm-hmm. UMBC. So so I, I kinda like what you say, because I, I initially dismissed Northern Kentucky out of hand because I was like, you know, I just I really like Texas Tech's defense. Absolutely. Um, yeah. but which is dominant. It's the number one ranked uh, defense in in adjusted defensive efficiency. But I, I, I like your line of thinking that this is a team that uh, Northern Kentucky is a team that uh, shoots really well, shoots a ton of threes, and if they make enough of them um, you know, Texas Tech could find themselves sort of in the middle of a fight. So um, definitely like that. Okay, so my 13 seed, this will come as no surprise to anybody. UC Irvine is a 13 seed. Um, after talking, you know, waxing poetic about Russell Turner for however long I did that, 15 minutes or whatever. Um, so UC Irvine's a, a 13 seed against uh, against Kansas State. Um, they have a an approximately 27% chance of winning that game based on is, results so far this year. Which is really good for which is actually really good yeah, for a 13 four yeah quite good for a 13 four and that's a you know basically a, a one in four chance to win the game um and then again it kind of gets down to kind of what we were talking about which is um you know d- teams that, that feature defense you know variance gets introduced um you know uc irvine's a pretty good three-point shooting team not a great three-point shooting but a pretty good one pretty good three-point shooting team they don't shoot a ton of them 
Uh, but Kansas State allows a lot of them. And so um, if UC Irvine is enticed into taking a bunch of threes and uh, if uh, they make a bunch, then, you know, Kansas State could really be in trouble. It'll definitely be a slow game uh, featuring two, again, two um, two slow-paced teams, like, like you were talking about with Purdue, um, two slow-paced teams, two sort of uh, unlike Purdue, two defense-first teams. Um, but if, if you're if you're into like kind of hot, sexy defense um, like I am, UC Irvine, Kansas State's going to be where it's at, and and I will definitely be rooting for UC Irvine. So, um, and, and it also might be a great chance to get a first look at your next WSU head coach. Absolutely. Um, so when I was looking at the the 13s, I was uh, actually light. Like there there are some teams to be excited about on on the 13 line. Like there there was no like so I would say the least likely to win. And and this was obviously like they must have obviously like this seems like Virginia Tech was very much the uh, top uh, four seed like it, like it, it in the minds of the committee because they got the easiest matchup against St Louis um, interesting factoid about St Louis uh, their top scorer top you know leader guy is uh, Tremaine Isabel which who was yeah. at one point a WSU commit but. Don't fret too much. He isn't that good, like isn't particularly great at anything. Um, just pretty decent at a lot of stuff. Checks in at 100.5 O rating while using 24 25% of possessions, which is not, not that, that great. No, yeah, that's so not that good. Um, that's below average, uh, honestly. But so uh, to to that that be your kind of honestly, they spread it out quite a bit. He he's the leader, but. Uh, they spread when they don't really have a lot of guys that are going to fill it up and and like you know be that be be that guy that you know uh, makes one shiny moment or whatever you know. No. So, um, but yeah, so uh, I, I looked at Vermont. I, I looked at UC Irvine and Vermont. Um, I think both of the Vermont's playing Florida State. I think you'll see a similar game as to Irvine with two defensive oriented teams. Um, Vermont is not at the level of Eastern Irvine on defense, um, but uh, they do. Um, I, 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 I just I think that's probably, you know, Kempom has it 72 to 62. Um, I see it kind of falling there. Um, the pace will be a little higher, I think, in, in the Vermont Florida State game, but it'll be too defense. It'll be a defensive battle. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see Vermont again. So um, going on my my trend, uh, my Northern Kentucky trend. Northeastern really stuck out to me. So yeah. Northeastern is 22nd in three-point attempts per field goal attempt, and they are 13th in three-point percentage. And they have four different guys who took over 143s and shot over 39%. So they yep. they can spread you out. And and Kansas is Kansas is actually they're playing Kansas, who obviously has uh, not been at their best. Um, but uh, they, they do, they always do well in that fucking big 12 tournament because it's like in Kansas city. So whatever. it's like written in, it's also like written in some kind of like, like law decree that, that they should be, you know, but they did, to... they did lose. They did not win the big 12 this year, regular season for the first time in what, 13 years or so. Um, 
The streak is, is dead. Long live the streak. This is the worst Kansas team in a while. Yeah. But still, they're 21st in Kempom ranking. They're not bad. And Northeastern's 79, which is actually, you know, th- that's why I'm saying there's like some pretty damn good teams on the 13 line this year. Yep. Um, these are all um, automatic bid teams, but they're uh, like th- this could be fun, like to watch these games. They may not be wins, but they're they're probably going to be close games. And so uh, Northeastern given 23% chance to win, eight point differential. But yeah, Kansas 277th in three point um, three point attempt for field goal attempts allowed. I I put in my notes, all caps. Three point lottery exclamation point. Yep. Um, so uh, Kansas Kansas defense is very good, um, but they and but they don't defend the threes particularly. They're not bad at it, but they're not great at it. Yeah. And they do allow a lot of them. So that again, I'm playing that three point lottery. I'm rolling that dice. I, I'm I'm you know going 52 black or you know 42 black, and I'm like, so let's go. And and so uh, uh, I'm going with Northeastern. Uh, uh, potentially, we're not saying these are happening. Don't don't go pick it on your bracket and be like, "What the fuck, Craig and Jeff? <laughs> you said pick Northeastern. You said you said pick UC Irvine, and they didn't win. These are still the worst. These are still the worst teams in the matchup. Yeah, yeah. Percentages of them happening are twenty to twenty five percent. So, but but uh, yeah. So I think or twenty twenty seven percent. Sorry. Um, but um, yeah, I like. Northeastern, it's also be fun just to watch Kansas go down to a Northeastern in the first round. That would be a delight. Heck. Um, and, um, but yeah, because uh, yeah, so um, yeah, this three point barrage. Both of my both of my upsets, uh, three point lottery. Both of Jeff's upsets. Well, one your upset, you go defense first, and the other one offense first. So yeah. Um, you're not as uh, narrow-minded as I am. No, but I, but I like your way of thinking, though. I mean, Kansas, Kansas is ripe for an upset, man. I mean, this is, yeah. you know, Bill Self's been holding that team together with duct tape all year. Um, you know, I, I mean, it really is like duct tape and chicken wire. It's like, you know, it, 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 I know that you know what they've done this year, like to the naked eye, is sort of. Um, you know, not a great achievement, right? Like, you know, they, oh, well, Kansas is normally, you know, amazing. Um, but you know, they had injuries and, and, and Bill Self, I think, I think to hold it together as well as he did, I think is honestly a testament to his coaching. Um, he's built his defense inside out. And, you know, Northeastern's just like, fuck it. We don't care. (laughs) Like, like we're just going to shoot half our shots from three and, you know, whatever. So, you know, it definitely could be a situation where that, that inside out, you know, Kansas defense, where they are so, you know, protective of the rim, um, you know, comes, comes back to bite them. And, you know, Kansas is definitely, um, you know, I I don't know this for sure because I'm not looking at results right now. But, you know, my my anecdotal recollection is that Kansas um, has been fairly susceptible to um, to upsets over the years. And and this seems like as good a one as any. So, yeah, I like that pick. I like that pick a lot. All right. So, Jeff, we are man. Uh, But I think do do you do you have any kid kid anecdotes, kid anecdotes? Man, I got I got nothing this week. I've been so focused on basketball and you know Ernie Kent and why he sucks and all that kind of stuff that I I I really I, I got to admit I have not been paying enough attention to my children. So I've obviously t- <laughs> I've obviously <laughs> talked about B. I talked about B up top. 
but uh, I will say uh, I've talked about the toothbrushing singing um, in in previous episodes. Uh, we've now changed the song because us singing is not enough to distract her from uh, the torture of us brushing her teeth. Now there's an Elmo song, a toothbrushing song, which I uh, I'd highly recommend to look up. Um, uh, it's uh, it's kind of a hip hoppy, um, poppy brushing song and B loves it and uh, that's made brushing quite a bit easier but now I have it stuck in my head all the time um, which is great uh, um, so I have almost uh, voice stuck in my head constantly um, but yeah so that's that's my uh, week in parenting um, but yeah so but she's been a real trooper uh, we had a lot of nights where we were doing social activities and she had to stay up way past her bedtime and she is just the sweetest most outgoing person, which is nothing like her parents. So uh, um, we're interested to see if she's actually going to be an extrovert, um, which which will uh, <laughs> which will totally shock. That would be so you. perfect. That would be so perfect. Yeah, exactly. She's like forcing us to talk to people we don't want to talk to. Even our neighbor came over to the fence today, you know, because it was nice. We were outside. And B was the first one over there uh, to greet him. And they're like, oh, talking to our neighbor, what a what a weird thing. Um, <laughs> Who does that? Yeah, our, uh, our 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 longest interaction with him, he came over and knocked on our door. He had recently divorced, and they were valuing their assets. And since he's our next door neighbor on the same street, so he basically he he wanted he asked us, you know, how much we bought the house for, because we had bought it recently, and then he wanted to just kind of take a look to see how it compared to his house and all that stuff so he could so he could assess his own home for that divorce well, value. I'll bet I'll bet that wasn't weird. Yeah, well he's a nice guy, so we had talked to him before, so it wasn't but it, it I mean it, it you know, I it's you know, it's kinda of weird to be like tell someone exactly you know, your finance like this is what we spent right? on the house and, and all that <laughs> stuff. And it's like, well I if you know Amanda and I, we're not the cleanest of folk. So uh, when someone comes over and just like, on on a whim, we on a whim, right? We kind of freak out, like we're like, oh, there's underwear all over the place. So good luck with that. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so um, man, that was a that I, we talked about sports for the entire podcast, or and beer. Actually, that was probably our most talk about beer, but because beer is great, and I've beer had, is great, and I I'm almost done with the second one and. I'm feeling good, and I'm, yeah. I'm feeling like this was a good podcast. So I agree. You, so you're welcome for all the people that listened. Um, right. Also, if you enjoyed it, please give us a subscribe on your um, on whatever app you listen on. I know a lot of you listen just on Coog Center because I can tell who listens in the browser, but um, but I, a growing number of you are listening on on podcast apps. So please hit subscribe on that. And uh, then you'll get it just delivered straight to you. And you don't have to go hunt the Coog Center article. Um, uh, give us a follow on our Twitter and engage with us at pod versus everyone. That's P-O-D-V-S, everyone, um, on Twitter. Um, shoot us questions on there. Give us suggestions on how we should rate our beers. Um, otherwise, we're just going to keep making up ones every time. Um, but we'd happy to answer your questions, happy to do anything. Um, I'd love if we got just a, a bunch of questions. We could do a mailbag episode. So we had, had to do like very little preparation whatsoever. Because when summer comes, we're not going to have anything to talk about. So 
please send us some questions for the summer uh, so we can we can do that um but yeah so um give us a follow give us a subscribe give us a like and uh thanks goodbye <laughs>